Rolling. Speed. Speed. Welcome to the Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Drugs. There's no problem that a little Coke and Pop Rocks can't solve. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Blips and Chips. Blips and Chits. <laughs> you <laughs> fuck up your own I did. I wrote it. <laughs> Spin all your flurbos at the hottest planet in town at Blips and Chits. <laughs> Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the movie podcast where we like to break apart a film from the perspective of filmmakers, actors, a producer, um, musician. Todd is a uh, heralded, a much heralded uh, artist in his own right. In literally my own <laughs> right. Yeah. How? So this is something that's been on my mind lately. I went to a concert on Thursday to see Maggie Rogers perform at ACL Live. Cool. And it was incredible. It was the best show I've ever been to, which I wouldn't expect going into an ACL Live show because it's a stripped down yeah. styling. But I think that also allowed her and her performance and everything that she is kind of come to the forefront. And there's no hiding behind all any, you know, gimmicks or what have you. And so I just really connected. I love her music. I've been following her since uh, she went viral with Pharrell. She had this great, great uh, clip that just blew her up. And that song still like it slays me, man, that kills. makes me want to go listen to it right now. I know. Let's put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, we will. We okay. absolutely will. Yeah. Um, one of my dreams is definitely to shoot a video with her. Cause she also likes to shoot on film. Oh, nice. that, that just really, you know, is something that I can get behind. <laughs> Obviously. It, and so what surprised me though about it was film is a, is a medium between audio and visual. And so often we forget about the audio part of that. And I think just sitting there in that concert and kind of reconnecting, I get so information heavy sometimes that I forget how important music is to me as an artist and as a person and just going about my daily life. And so I've been, you know, the last, I don't know, several years, I get so over saturated with information, podcasting and this and that, that I forget to connect with music again. And so it was really good to just be there and be present and, you know, experience that. How often do you still listen to new albums and, you know, connect with that part of yourself? Yeah, all the time. I still, I'm always constantly looking for new stuff. I mean, I'm not very good at finding it, uh, is the thing. Like some, some people like, the guys in my, in my band are all really good at finding stuff. They're like, Oh, listen to this, listen to this. And I'm like, where do you find this stuff? This Spotify thing? (laughs) Um, no, I'm just, I'm not very good at finding it, but I'm always looking for it, you know, Hmm. constantly. It's just always something that I feel like I I need. And, And at times I get away from it and I, for whatever reason, I start like feeling unbalanced, feeling kind of off, maybe even depressed at times or whatever. And then I, I find a song that I latch onto and I just like, Oh my God, that's right. Now I feel full, you know, like it just kind of like fills in the holes a little bit. Even if you don't know that they're there, you know, you're so busy, like you said, you're so busy with life, with doing things that like, you don't forget to fill the tiny little holes with everything. And uh, that, that this life gives you and man, music is just such a, it's, it's a thing where when it's not there, you notice it, but it's there all the time. You know, like you're either listening to the radio in the car or uh, maybe a, an actual CD, which I still listen to. I still do, um, you know, or, or just streaming music, whatever, you know, you're rarely ever just driving in silence. I mean, sometimes you are and that's fine. But a lot of times, you know, when you're in a car, you're doing that or when you're working out, you know, you listen to music or 
when you're watching a movie, there's all, almost always music in it and you take the music out first, you know, like yeah. the, the movie isn't, isn't half of what it should be, you know? Uh, makes yeah. a huge impact. Yeah. I just, for, it, it, it almost takes on a, whenever you're just listening to music, it almost takes on a meditative state, right? Because there's nothing else happening. And now you're, you know, the music is connecting with something, you know, inside of us, whether it's, you know, just programmed because we've been doing it all, all of our lives, or if it's, if there's something else that we've developed as humans and, you know, association with our voices and talking and this whole other uh, form of communication that we've developed as, you know, an evolved species, if you will, uh, not to offend any creationists out there, but maybe there's something else that's going on, you know, in a, in a part of our brain that uh, can only be filled by music. And that's how I feel. I feel recharged and I feel like, oh, yeah, the world is. That's awesome, man. When, when did you see her? Friday. Oh man. So this has lasted. Yeah. it's Cause this is a Tuesday. Yeah. So geez. It's wow. Amazing. Five days. Ride, ride the wave, ride the wave, homie. That's awesome. Yeah. What are we doing today? Oh, uh, sorry. That was like out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about saving private Ryan. Uh, if you haven't seen it, pause the episode, we're going to talk about all the details. And so, yeah, we don't want to ruin anything for you. So go pause it, go watch the the film, come back and listen to what we have to say. Definitely. We're going to talk about a lot of things. It's hard to watch a Spielberg movie and not discuss cinematography and the camera work. Yeah. Um, a little bit of lighting. I will definitely talk about the story and the writing. And as well as you can't talk about this movie without discussing the opening scene, Storm in the Beaches. Mm-hmm. So we'll touch, about, touch on those and many other things. And stuff. And stuff. <laughs> uh, so with the spoiler alerts gone, uh, following the Normandy landings, a group of U.S. soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. It's directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Robert Rodat. Cinematography by Janice Kaminsky, featuring Tom Hanks as Captain Miller, Tom Sizemore as Sergeant Hobath, Edward Burns as Reben, Barry Pepper as Jackson, Adam Goldberg as Mellish, Vin Diesel as Caparzo, Giovanni Ribisi as Medic Wade, and Matt Damon as Private Ryan. What's the pool on me up to right now? What, what, what's it up to? Wait, what is it, uh, $300, is that it? $300? I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. This little town called Abley, Pennsylvania. It's the last 11 years. I've been at Thomas Alva Edison High School. I was a coach of the baseball team in the springtime. Back home, and I tell people what I do for a living, and they think, well, now that figures. But over here, it's uh, a big, big mystery. So I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much, my wife is even gonna recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to, to tell her about days like today. Ah, Ryan, I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. But if 
you know, if going to Ramel and finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well then, then that's my mission. You wanna leave? You wanna go off and fight the war? All right. All right, I won't stop you. I'll even put in the paperwork. I just know that every man I kill, the farther away from home I feel. Tom, Tom, Tom. Dude. Know how to deliver, brother. What a scene. And it's not heavy-handed, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's like, whoa. Oh, we're going to find out, finally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just, like, says it. You know, that's such good writing just to yeah. time it so that this question that they've really built up in our minds, like, oh, man, what is his backstory? Um, he's, you know, a great captain and team leader, and there must be something interesting to it. And he uses it as a character. The character uses it to diffuse, you know, his team completely, the, the morale all completely falling apart. Like, it's yeah. great writing and it's perfect and indicative of a coach who thinks in strategy. That's why he's a good captain. And that's also, you know, why he's able to hold back information so that he can save it for a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. Like that's all strategy. That's coaching. That's, yeah. that's part of his character. That's great writing. It's so good, man. God. How did you feel watching this? Uh, yeah, man, from the opening scene to, I mean, the, the entire time I was stressed out, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a good cinematic kind of way, you know, you, even though you're on the beach and and uh, Captain Miller is on the beach, you know he's going to live because it's Tom Hanks and he's going to have to find Private Ryan, right? You know he's going to live, but you're still stressed out for him, right? For everybody, right? But partic you know for him as well. And they do such a good job of of conveying that, right? They don't spend too much time on him. Yes, he's the sing he's like the main figure, right? Like we want to follow him throughout the movie, but that scene is not about him. It's about everybody dying around him, right? All those guys and all those guys who, you know, formed the wall basically to get up in the front and basically sacrifice themselves, you know? And then throughout the whole thing, it was like one big Game of Thrones season. We're like, oh, that guy's dying. Oh my god, now that guy's dying. Oh, oh shit, that guy too. No, and then, and you find yourself falling in love with these guys, you know. Um, and I don't know any of their names because it was there were so many. Yeah, okay? you, you know their faces. I know their faces, their characters, and what they did. Yeah. The sniper, uh, what's his name? Do we know? Yes, it is Jackson. Jackson. Yes. Oh, Barry. Like he's my favorite. I, and I'm not a religious guy. Maybe he plays a religious religious sniper, but just like the intent. Okay, let me just say something. So the intensity that he has is amazing. But one of the brilliant things that, about his character that that I completely identify with, and why I, he's my favorite out of everybody, including Tom Hanks and everything, is they show him missing. He's a sniper, but they show him miss, you know, like the guys are just running and they show through the scope and that he shoots and you see the dust kick up and he misses, but he doesn't stop. Like he just cocks the gun again, goes at it and then gets him, you know, or maybe he doesn't, whatever. But the point is like, he's human. 
right? They humanize him by letting him miss, but he's an amazing shot and you know it. Man, that's a great point because every other movie I've ever seen with they a never dead miss. shot sniper, yeah, they never miss. They never miss, right? But this guy, like, especially like in the heat of battle too, okay, the first time you see him really snipe someone was when Vin, Vin the bell tower guy. Yeah, the, yeah he shoots the bell tower guy through the scope mm-hmm. right and you're like okay this guy is a badass <laughs> uh, uh, which is a great scene because yeah. I mean there's a great build up he set up kind of the false uh, fake guy sitting out next to the car um, and you're suddenly watching through the eyes of the sniper himself trying to see what he sees and he's got he's got the best advantage you know advantage and the vantage point and just to see all too late what's happening because it's a smooth kind of panning around the field looking at his options waiting for you know someone to open up for a clean shot because that sniper knows he can't just shoot willy-nilly he can't just start taking crack shots that's yeah. going to give away his position yeah um, and that's his death and so he's really taking his time looking for his next target not knowing there is an equal out there on the field mm-hmm. and the moment you see him that i just love that editing and cinematography style because we see it and we only see the we see the light first, the muzzle flash, and then the sound, and then the reaction of uh, the bang, boom. I mean, it's all fast, but it's all synchronized orally, sonically, just the way it would in real life. And so it's you know, flash, zip, bang. You know, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, man, and the foley in this film is just incredible God, with yes. the bullets whizzing by and and hitting like you know. I mean, not that I know from detail, but the sound of a bullet hitting someone is a very particular one. And I I feel like they nailed it in so many ways. I mean, so back to that opening shot on the, on the beach, there's the one, the one little moment that really stands out to me. Well, you know, the, the first moment where the doors open and everyone just gets like melted, basically the bigger one that I keep going back to in my mind, unfortunately is They've made it pretty much through the beach, right? And they're up on that berm, right? That one guy gets shot and it ricochets off his helmet. And he's like stunned, right? He takes his helmet off because he to look at it. And then he gets shot in the head. And it's such a, like a small moment. But like, you, you know, imagine if you're in a scenario like that, you're not thinking. Yeah. Uh, you know, something like that just happens and you're a lot, you're not dead, but your life has probably flashed before your eyes and you're, you're just, you don't even know where you are, or what's happening and you're just trying to get your bearings. And so he does that and then, and then he dies and you're like, Oh my God. And then they just keep moving on. Cause you have to, you just yeah. have to keep moving on even though your brother's dying around you and, and everything. And, and the way that they, that each of these characters throughout the film, dies is unbelievable the acting is amazing but the writing behind it like how it happens i mean vin diesel's death is incredible like you know like it's got blood on it man with his note to his dad um and it just like every there's a story for every single every single guy right and you just you feel it so heavy and it's really hard i feel like in war films to do that with so many characters, right? Cause then they're just, I mean, for lack of a better term, ants, like yeah. dropping dead here, there, 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 they're just all over the place. Right. Um, but even in the beginning, I don't know how, but they, they humanize everyone. Yeah. Whenever you start to see just too often we get, instead of a war film, we get an action film 
Yes. This isn't an action film. This is a war film. Yes. And a war film doesn't have to be based on real life, but it does need to portray and ground you into the reality Mm. of warfare. And so when, when a guy loses his arm and he's, you know, picking it up with his other arm, with his other hand, and he's carrying it around in a daze. Oh my God. If that isn't communicating something, uh, horrific and real about war then then you're in the wrong movie yeah man i mean it's so powerful and they and to your point earlier like they start you know on that scene it's a 25 minute scene so they're they're in no rush to get through this thing but it starts with those close-ups in the boat so that you can see the tension and the emotion on everyone's face and as you know, Americans, we're already aware of what lies in store because um, Normandy, D-Day, that's all incredibly famous. I mean, certainly helped, you know, with movies like this, but uh, it's been really well known for ages. And so all those close ups really add to, OK, these aren't, you know, action heroes. These are people and they're wrestling right now with their own mortality even as they're having to kind of push that down so that they can face what's in front of them. And so when the doors open, like you said, it's just people are melting. Um, and it really helps, you know, like you said, the Foley, the audio really helps us follow the perspective so that if we're underwater, then suddenly, you know, the, uh, where the sound drowns out and now we can't hear anything the way we normally would. And then as soon as we pop up above water, you know, we hear the, the water kind of leaving our ears even. And the, the distance to the bullet, you know, to the camera is all relative. So all the sound is in sync. Everything that's happening is being completely motivated, you know, sonically. And that makes such a huge difference in immersing us. And then you have Hanks getting to the beach and there's this great, you know, shot where we start really far away from him as he lands on the beach. And then we, you know, just kind of take our time getting up to him and they do this slow motion. They crank it to slow-mo at that point without ever breaking a cut. And they, they under crank it and it adds this kind of surreal choppy slow motion effect. And so it's not clean. Is that, do they shoot that in 24 and slow it down? Yeah. Okay. And it's, super effective to kind of emotionally connect you with what he's experiencing right now. Um, because now our first real engagement with, you know, captain Miller is he's scared and he can't believe what he's being surrounded with right now. And it's accomplished with something as simple as moving into a slow motion close up. (laughs) And then from there, they, they mix in a little bit of this under crank slow-mo with, you know, the, the normal high shutter speed. you know, if you're digital in in their case, they're shooting film. So it's a low shutter angle to kind of give it this choppy texture so that the the dirt flying through the air suddenly looks very crisp and clean and everything's kind of uh, intensified through just making it more choppy and less motion blur. They're also emphasizing the surreal reality of all this death and destruction, right? They drown out the audio and they just show us what's happening and how he's reacting to all of it. And of course, every inch from that beach to the sand wall is a moment of tension. Mm-hmm. Every single inch is a fight and it's all you feel the, uh, the bullets could hit anybody at any time. Like you said, you know, it's, you don't know who's going to die and who's going to make it, you know, for one moment, suddenly a guy seems significant you're like, okay, we're getting, we're getting into this guy's head. He's, he's discussing, you know, uh, game plan and, you know, 
suddenly he's gone now. Um, and you see Captain Miller wants a phone call. He needs to call us in. And Oh, gosh, yeah. This guy's dead and his phone didn't survive either. And yeah. so his reaction to that is amazing because he's like, okay, well, moving on. Yeah. Business as usual, we need to live <laughs> mm-hmm. if we're going to make a difference on this wall. And that's every inch of it, man, was just frightening and you know immersive and they did everything right and i i can't imagine how long it took to shoot that oh my gosh yeah i have no idea i wouldn't be surprised if they spent like a full month just on that alone what were those metal things on the beach and where did like did we put them there did the did the oh the uh, spikes and stuff yeah yeah that's to prevent uh the ships from landing oh and so that makes sense. Okay. Now a tank, you know, is going to have a harder time unloading and, uh, you just really screwing up the logistics. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Like, at least that's my understanding. Okay. No, um, that's, that makes perfect sense. Ooh. Yeah. I, 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 let me just say like, you know, I know I've railed over the last year or so on Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, but every time I rail on him, it's, you know, it's with love because I, th- I think he's one of the greatest directors of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to see him turning in less than capable, less than what he's capable of is really frustrating when you have all the money, all the time, all the resources in the world and you're that good. I expect it from you. Right. So you give me something like the post and I'm mad. I don't, that's, Uh, you know, but like you look at this, you see this movie and you think that is because he knew how to make this movie. He saw this in his head. He saw that the cut in the clip you played when it, it cuts to from Tom Hanks to a wide angle close up of, uh, what's his name? His second in command. Oh, uh, Sizemore. Sizemore. uh, Tom Sizemore. It's Sergeant Hovarth. Hovarth. Yeah. Um, Horvath, 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 Horvath. It it cuts to not just a close up of his face, but a wide angle close up of his face. Right. It's like, you know, that was thought out. It's not, it's, it's wide angle for, it's a close up for a reason, but it's wide angle also for a reason. And I, you know, I don't know what the reasoning is other than like what I feel when I'm seeing Tom Hanks in, in a, a wide shot with like, it's, I guess it's like a six shot, a dirty six shot. Cause, cause Sergeant Horvath is in the foreground mm-hmm. and he's around a bunch of his guys and he's saying he's a school teacher or whatever. And then it cuts to Sergeant with a wide angle lens. So it keeps that wide kind of feel, but it brings you into him, into his reaction and, and lets him have his moment of awe. And in that yeah. wide where we're it's it's a great shot too because uh, before you cut to that close up, we're in that wide, and he still has the gun up, and you can see yeah. the gun being lowered as the tension is being reduced. Right, and so yeah. it's a it's a perfect way to demonstrate everything. You know, the stakes in the scene mm-hmm. are very high, and the touch by Captain Miller is a soft touch. Yeah, and it's effective. And then they cut back to the wide of him yeah. after going to the sergeant, and he walks to him. Mm-hmm. He walks to the camera to to the sergeant where the conflict is it it like just that little bit in what you showed in that clip you showed shows like the brilliance of of Spielberg that is what I want 
you know, in, in his films. And in, there's never a moment I don't feel like I'm with those guys yeah. in this entire movie. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a masterpiece. It really is. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Spielberg. He's hit and miss for me these days, but like, I love the post. I know, I know, you know we've had this conversation, yeah. but I, I think whenever he gravitates towards the more serious is when I'm usually on, on the same page with him. Like the post is a serious conversation about, you know, government overreach and blah, blah, blah. Whereas ready player one, I had a fun time, but, um, it was, it was missing something unless you're going back to his earlier films. I don't know, uh, Goonies or what have you mm-hmm. like there's fun stuff there, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little all over the place. Sometimes he hits it, but I, I think for the same reason that you are is because knowing what a master craftsman he is raises your expectation of what he's going to yeah, give you. I mean, sorry about it. If you're that good, be that good. You know, fair enough. Man. Like I have an excuse for making a shitty movie. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and I don't have any money. Touche. So there you go. Uh, diving into cinematography. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the visuals itself, it's all washed out. Like you have this kind of very high contrast and, um, washed out look texture and it helps i think our guys are soldiers they're blending into the land and you know so all their uniforms have this dull color so kind of go with that because that's also the mood and hopelessness you know attitude of war and so we're so it's very depressive all of it it's it's meant to feel like life has lost a little bit of its color because that's the natural state of warfare and the camera work i thought was you know spot on during battle we're usually going handheld right it's immersive it's immediate it keeps us off balance and everything's constantly moving so you feel very unsettled every time we're going handheld and that's the way battle should feel you know it's not supposed to be this clean look at everything that's happening around you it's it's hysterics it's chaos Um, and handheld is perfect for that Whereas whenever things are safe, we're usually going more towards locked off shots or steady pushes. Um, Movement is on a a dolly track. So that's really helping to cue us emotionally for what's happening next in the scene or what's about to happen uh, based on the camera work. One of the most interesting things was the way he was personalizing the death of our guys. Like death in general is always very, very gross whenever he's shooting it in this film. But when people die, people die when you're not watching, like Caparzo, suddenly he was gone. We looked away, we looked back, and it was too late. We couldn't get out there to help him in time. But they also die when you're watching and whenever you have all the hope you need, like uh, Wade, the medic. Mm -hmm. Like everyone was there for him. And of course, the one person he really needed was himself. It was himself, yeah. And but even then, it, there was nothing. Because yeah. he asked him, right? Like, what can we do? And he's like... Morphine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone knew. I love all those reaction shots. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of new filmmakers don't use reaction shots enough to show how people are responding to the information they're hearing. And I'll get back to that in a second because there's a really great edit later on. Um, but they, when our guys die... We also tend to go towards a Dutch angle. So Dutch is, you know, normally you want everything. If you were to line up a shot on the horizon, we're perfectly level. The horizon is perfectly running left to right. It's even. Whereas a Dutch angle, you might tilt the camera so the horizon is off kilter. 
And whenever you do that, you're kind of communicating something about what we're seeing. And for us, when we're watching our guys die, we often go Dutch because the world is now upset and askew. Things aren't right. And that's a mm. beautiful use of Dutch angles. And I don't, I would be interested just to see how often Spielberg even uses Dutch angles because Danny Boyle uses them a lot. That's one of his key, I don't know, stylist, uh, stylistic choices. Whereas Spielberg, I feel like, doesn't use a lot of Dutch angles. And so it was really interesting to see him uh, pull them out here in this case. So going back to the, uh, the reaction shots, there was a great editing earlier whenever he gets new information about Private Ryan, uh, Captain Miller. And he breaks out his compass and he's talking to the guys really excitedly. And we see his hand is shaking, right? And it's amazing because he's got all this great information he's delivering. We're not hearing any of it. None of it really matters to us, the audience, and especially not to his men. Like he knows, they all know he's going to get us there. But we get to see their reaction to them finally learning that, oh, he has a tell. And if you think just a moment ago, they were talking about poker chips and gambling. Mm -hmm. And this is his tell. This is his thing that shows he has humanity still in him. He's not perfectly in control. He's as scared as any of the other guys. He just generally hides it so, so much better. Yeah. And it's a great shot to see that not only do they notice, but they got his back. Mm -hmm. God. They're okay. They're okay with it. They get it. They understand. They're probably the only ones that do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that scene in general, man, uh, just the evolution of that moment whenever they're looking through all these uh, name tags, the dog tags, and they're, for them, they're, they've already become so desensitized to everything that they've dehumanized all these to just names. Mm-hmm. And then to see Medic Wade walk over and say, what the hell is wrong with y'all? These are all their men. Y'all are freaking acting like they don't exist, you know? Uh, it's a really... But even Captain Miller is part of it. Yeah, yeah. He was just kind of grinning and going along. Which is another brilliant thing. He's human. He's you human. Know? God, just, yeah. It's perfect. One of the things that is interesting about this is seeing how filming somebody wearing a, a hat is hard. You don't see a lot of hats in movies for this reason. How do you like their face? How do you show their eyes? You know, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we're reading someone, how they're reacting to things are all in the eyes. It's in your posture too, don't get me wrong. But the eyes are such a huge thing. And so it's really important to be able to see the eyes. When you're filming someone with a hat on, where do you like them from? And so I was really interested just watching how he was dealing with that. And uh, I'm assuming he probably adjusted the helmet a little bit. The closer in he got, the more it was important to fine-tune that. Because in these wider shots, it's fine. All this hard lighting, you're getting these uh, hard shadows running across their eyes. It doesn't really matter that much. But the closer you get, the more you want to see those eyes. And he, I'm sure, like either raised the helmet up just a touch. I don't think he pushed it back too much. It it always looked like it was balanced on their head. But he also seemed to do a lot more side lighting to show the eyes. And you can tell because their eye light got a lot bigger. And if you don't know what an eye light is, it's that little glistening thing that you see on their eyes. It's a reflection of a light source. And it's also called an eye light or a catch light. You use that because it adds life. Without a catch light, the eyes can look really dull and lifeless, which was interesting too because at certain scenes, seem to take advantage of this difference, like the before and after of Captain Miller telling his backstory that we listened to earlier. 
seemed to help diffuse the morale situation because in certain shots, like Edward Burns didn't have an eye light. And then you cut back to after the story and suddenly there was an eye light there. And it was kind of just a little tell to say that, you know, a little bit of his humanity or his, his life is uh, returned to him and he cares again, he's connecting again. Um, so it's just a really simple thing you can do. Um, eye lights are also usually white, by the way, just to help prevent lighting your subject in odd colors. Cause you might think, Oh, a red eye light could be really cool and telling, well, yeah, but that red light is also going to be spilling onto the rest of their face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a reason that it's usually going to be a white, or gold or silver depending on uh, some style choices because if it's sunset then you might do gold yeah Um, but generally it's going to be a white highlight Um, and it's also the kind of thing you might not want to put in a a zombie right that's a great way to kind of dehumanize uh, a character is remove it and unless you're doing some kind of special effect then you probably want to remove the eye light from a zombie but anyway there was another cinematography thing that i thought was really cool the story on the steps when they were listening to edith piaf it was really interesting framing because our little cowardly translator, I don't even know his name. I just call him coward um, is sitting on the left while the other men are on the right and they're all laughing and joking around. And it's, this is so good for so many reasons because at the very beginning when he's joining the group, he makes this comment about, yeah, we, I'm interested to see what it's like as a writer, you know, to, to have this camaraderie and this bond with my fellow soldiers. And they all start immediately pounding them like with jokes, uh, which is ironic because for one, uh, they're denying that it exists while exhibiting it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then it also creates a barrier between the two groups, uh, a group of one (laughs) versus the rest of everyone else. But this composition when they're, they're on the steps is really great because he's on the left and they're on the right. He hasn't grown close to them and what's separating them. Sure. The steps, but there's rifles that sit between them. Hmm. Which is to say his cowardice keeps him from joining them. He refuses to partake in war. He cowers behind, you know, when everyone else goes forward. And that is ultimately what, you know, so the guns are a perfect symbolism for, you know, his inability to connect with them. And we'll get back to him in just one second. (laughs) Um, So let's dive into story and writing for a second here. Uh, This will be fast. The main thing that seems to be running throughout this film is the cost of lives. Is the sacrifice worth it? What is all this for? There's this great line where he says towards the end when they're analyzing the, uh, the situation as they're setting up for that final uh, stand for the bridge. And the guy does the, uh, it's Edward Burns, Ryben, um, comes back from the, the the rabbit chase, as they call it. And he makes this comment, uh, it's a ton of infantry. I don't know if they took the bait. That's great because everything is riding on us understanding that they need everything to go right. Mm-hmm. And part of that is them chasing him. And so they established it earlier. They said, here's what's going to happen. Well, everything rides on this happening. And then whenever he gets off the rabbit, he immediately says, it's a ton of infantry. I don't know if they took the bait to further reinforce they need people coming down that line and it adds so much tension because he could have just as easily as said they're hot on my butt and that would have either been true or not true it doesn't really matter 
But what's important is they established what's supposed to happen and his uncertainty in it. And of course, he's right in the fact that they don't take the bait. And it's always good to see a plan go wrong. Mm -hmm. We establish really hardcore what the plan is supposed to be. And nothing goes according to that plan, which uh, is what you want out of a good story. You want to see them have to improvise and figure out things. And ultimately, everything in this movie, to me, because it ends with this crazy hardcore battle that basically kills 90% of our guys. But it also opens with a hardcore battle where we lose like 90% of our guys. Yeah. Um, and so this whole movie, if you pardon my French, is a shit sandwich. It starts with a lot of death, ends with a lot of death, and everything in between is more death and very, very small glimpses of hope. And even the small glimpses of hope um, are filled with death, like yeah, the little girl. Fleeting, yeah. You know, you have this moment where a little girl is at stake and uh, she doesn't die, but just trying to help a little girl gets you killed. Yeah. Like everything about this movie is heartbreaking death. And of course, there's this really interesting moment towards the end when our, our coward Oppum, um, our coward killed his secret. He finds the, the German that killed Miller that he let go that also killed mm-hmm. Mellish. Mm-hmm. He suddenly gets his, you know, his cojones stands up whenever suddenly reinforcements are there and everyone's looking to surrender. And now he's got him surrounded. <laughs> yeah. And the guy talks a little too much trash. He shoots him down and tells the rest of them to run away. So now his secret is safe of his cowardice. Cause the only people who knew are all dead. Mellish and, uh, the German himself who let him go, which I'm sure he regretted that. But why did he let the others, the other, they didn't know, they, they didn't know anything about that. Now they don't have to report that he killed that German because that's, that's, he knows Oppum is actually smart enough to know that this is a, a criminal act. This is a, a war crime to kill yeah, a but hostage. You take, yeah. You don't have to kill him. You take him, take him prisoner. Oh, he could, but he, if he took that German that he killed prisoner, then that German's going to say, yeah, but you let, uh, you could have killed me before I killed your captain. You could have killed me before I killed your buddy upstairs. No, I'm fine with him killing that guy. I'm talking about the other guys. He let go. But if he had kept all those guys, they report his war crime of killing a hostage. He killed that German. Mm. So he knows he can't get away with that. That's the only secret to a crime is leave no witnesses. And so if he lets them all go, you know, all is forgiven and all is forgotten. And so it's interesting, too, because... But but if he's going to make the crime by killing the one German, why not kill the others? Oh, he doesn't have enough ammo for that. At that point, they just bum rush him and he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was absolutely outnumbered. And so what's interesting about that scene, that little moment, is they do something they don't do in the rest of the film, at least I didn't catch it, was you have all these streaks and glare to that scene where he kills the German. And it's like like tears are streaming over the, the lens um, or maybe like everything before this is just some kind of distant faded memory. It's just this interesting organic significance that they're adding to this moment that everything's changing here. Uh, this is not normal. And I think it's it's a little bit of the, the film crying um, because to some extent, Oppen was our conscience. Mm hmm. And it was it was heartbreaking because at the same token, it's kind of amplifying all the the difficulty of war because 
there's a, and we'll talk about this more after the quote at the end. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a really screwed up balancing act because his conscience ultimately was not the place for, he either should have been in the, you know, uh, conscientious, uh, objector and have not been in the war or participate because he let a lot of people die. A lot of people died because he wouldn't step up and do his job. And part of the whole idea of uh, brothers in arms is that you have each other's back. And if, and if you're not going to be there for your brothers then you don't need to be there at all. Right. And so lastly, there's this great moment that is just a gut punch to everybody when Captain Miller leans into Private Ryan and he says, earn this. Mm -hmm. And what I think is fantastic about that is I think, you know, more largely he's speaking to America. Ryan represents everyone who is at home or got to go home. And he's saying, make this all worth something. Mm -hmm. Live accordingly. And I don't want to get into a big anti-war discussion here, even though everything in my body wants to. But I think that's such a great message because there are so many people who died in World War II um, for such a noble and worthy cause. And his reaction in that, that fade into him standing over, you know, Captain's uh, grave and saying, I hope I did okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me I was a good man. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's hard to finish a movie like that in any other way than, than something like that. I mean, you, I think you kind of saw Captain Miller, like his death coming, right? I, the first time I saw it, I saw it coming at some point. I didn't know when, but, you know. Yeah, I can't remember my reaction either. Like, I remember being heartbroken because how can you not be upset with Tom Hanks dying? I mean, yeah, the whole, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's why you cast that guy is to rip people's hearts out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I remember, I think I, I think I assumed he was going to live. I was, you know, like 18, I guess, but, um, or 19, something like that. Um, but I think I was expecting him to live in my naivety. Just because it's Tom Tom Hanks? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe I did too, but I don't know. I don't know. Making his death actually carry through time, right? Yeah, was was really brilliant. You know, like like to so, see that World War Two is still connecting with us in modern day. Right. Exactly. And and that this this because you don't know who the old guy is true at the beginning. I remember the first time I saw this, I didn't know who he was. That's such a good point. And then. I thought it was Tom Hanks at first. Yeah. You know, and mm. just coming back to see his brothers who had, had passed. Cause they don't show, I don't think they show who, whose grave he's standing in front of. Right. No, they don't. Um, yeah. Not until the end where they show it's Miller. So having him not just remember Captain Miller and the guys, but remember what he left him with, the words that he left him with. Like that's such a, it's such a huge a much bigger thing to leave with a, like basically he gave him a blueprint, right? Like, so the way I describe it, like I'm not, I'm not the best at like trying to figure something out. Okay. How do I say this? If you tell me to do something, I will do it. I will find a way to do it. That thing. 
But thinking of that thing to do without mm. you telling me that is really hard. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you tell me mow the grass, I'll immediately go mow the grass. Not your grass, my own grass. <laughs> um, but I have a million other things to do. Yeah. Mowing the grass is, is number 9,950. So I probably won't get to that for a very long time. But if you tell me that, I'll go do it. It's, it's very, it's what he says to him kind of like frees his life up, frees him up in his life to have one goal, right? And that goal can be as deep or as shallow as you want it to be. It could be make a million dollars. It could be, you know, have a beautiful family and, and love them and be loved. It could be, you know, start this, 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 um, uh, business you've wanted to start for your whole life or whatever, write this book. It could be any of those things, but it's all encompassed in this one phrase, earn it, right? Be whoever it is that you wanted to be. So it freed, it almost, it almost freed him up by limiting his options, you know, cause like any decision that he makes in his life, he needs to ask himself, is this the best? Is this worthy? Is this choice that I'm making? Is this thing I'm doing? Is this, these words that I'm saying are, are, are these worthy of what these guys did for me? That's so good right? because it harkens back to, I forget if it's Plato or Aristotle or what have you, Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's such yeah. a great point. Like earn this becomes his method of like, am I honoring their sacrifice and everything they did for me because he's also well aware that he could have left with them and they all would have lived. Yes. Yes. Like he's the reason they're dead. Yeah. Uh, all of them. All of them. Right. And it's not his fault until he decides not to leave. Right. And of course that's not to say who knows what would have happened in war after and, that, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And but we're not judging him for not leaving. Absolutely not. But it's, it's weighing on him. He knows. Yeah, for sure. As a you know human being that, they died at that time because of me. Yeah. And that's, but you know, in, in his also, and I know we don't have to defend him, mm-hmm. but in his defense, all of them would have died yeah. and the bridge would have got been lost yeah. had they all not stayed. True. So there's that. But anyway, and I think that we all should ask, should do that. Yeah. You know, it should tell ourselves that earn it because I, I think that no matter, it's easier to say this that at certain times than at others, but I feel like, pretty much no matter what, there's something to be thankful for, right? There's, there's, there's some way and there's some way that you can be a little bit better. Yeah. Right. And so you should ask yourself that, or you should tell yourself that every day to earn this day because so many men and women have given so much, you know, even, even you don't have to die to be, to have given a lot, just being away from your family for years overseas, which is ridiculous is, you know, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Thanks. Appreciate that. You know, (laughs) that's awesome. So yeah, that's pretty much all I got. I mean, I, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I, you know, we could talk about it a long time. I I think basically the breakdown is, is Spielberg is brilliant. (laughs) Every single actor, including the ones you didn't include in here, which are, thank you for that, by the way, are dozens. (laughs) We're like, Holy crap. Ted Danson is in here. Nathan Fillion. Oh. Paul Giamatti. What is, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the acting is 
amazing that you're never once taken out of it. The cinematography is incredible. Uh, the lighting is amazing. The writing is incredible. Like there's not one single thing that I would change about this film. It's a 10 across the board in every way. Uh, the sound design is amazing. They don't overdo the music. There's music in some parts, but it's mostly in transitional scenes. Yeah, it's really there to support. Yeah, it? when they're traveling, when they're walking, you know, it's to kind of, to me, it's to kind of tell me, okay, I can calm down. Nobody's going to die right now, mm. you know? And then when the music stops, then I'm like, oh, fuck, somebody might die now. Oh, that's you know? really good. Um, which I think is another way of deciphering between a war movie, like you said, and and a an action film because right during an action sequence that's when the music comes the music comes right yeah exactly it's totally opposite you know uh so uh there yeah there's not (laughs) (laughs) you blew my mind oh well there you go and even man the old guy in the end i don't know who he is but man oh god he He crushed it it, man man. just crushed it wow uh yeah so i mean yeah 10 across the board same yeah it's super easy it's one of those films where it's like, if I don't watch it for another 20 years, I'm okay. Yeah. I don't need to ever, I don't need to do that to myself again. <laughs> I'm sitting there watching it and my wife's sitting outside and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do this, Pins you and know? Needles. And, um, I mean, d- halfway through the beach scene, the beginning, I'm thinking, I'm, Big I'm, mistake. I'm, I might need to turn this off. You yeah. Know? Because we, you, you wanted to do this one because of, uh, the, I think there was a 20th anniversary of the movie's release and like yeah. 75th anniversary of, uh, D-Day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just great. I mean, timing, but those, yeah. there's so many moments where you just regret watching it. For me, I can get through pretty much all of it. Not happily, but I'm like, fine. The one scene that I squirm and I cannot, keep my I, my composure is uh, the knife scene whenever oh, Mellish is being stabbed. Dude, it's just... His performance, the agonizing slowness of it all, um, and the absolute anger, and... Uh, There's so many feelings. It's all happening I have, so slowly. I have rage. I have, I have uh, fear. I have desperation. Yeah. You know, when, when he... he he says, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't, you know, like, like you're just hoping. Yeah. It's like, like, please have mercy. You know? Okay. I can't talk about it. I yeah, can't. I yeah. Can't yeah. 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 That's so, how good of a movie this <laughs> is because I can't even talk about it. And, and I mean, it's start, it's brilliant that it starts off with D day because you know, this happened and you weren't there. You don't know, you know, like the details and stuff, but to you, because you weren't there, all of this happened. And so it had the very beginning from the very beginning. It has so much weight because you know, this is a real thing in history, right? And whether or not somebody went like, there is a true, it's, his name wasn't Ryan, but there, this did happen. Oh, wow. Where a guy... So this was inspired by an actual event. Yes, where like a couple of brothers died. And so actually, okay, so it was three brothers. Two of them died. Danny, don't do it. You're a young man. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That scene was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, in, In real life, I think his his name was... Uh, Nyland. His last name was Nyland, not Ryan. 
but Nyland, N I L A N D. Two of his brothers died, so they sent him home. They didn't send a whole, mm-hmm. you know, like they did send people to go get him, but it wasn't like this whole trek through the country. Yeah. But they sent him home, and then, uh, like six months later or something, his or a year later, one of his brothers came home as well. No. He had survived. He was captured in a Chinese camp or Japanese Chinese camp for a year. Wow. And finally he got out after a year and he got to, and he went home. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But two, since two brothers were, were thought to be dead mm-hmm. and there was one left, they sent him home. Legacy. Yeah. 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 Wow. And he didn't want to go home, but yeah, he of did, course. but yep. he did. So that's an interesting little tidbit. I'll look that up to see. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you going to recommend this week? So, you know, I was was trying to think and I want to kind of stick with the war thing just because like you can't really... I'm not going to recommend Toy Story, you know, after after Saving Private Ryan. Uh, So I'm going to recommend another movie that... Another war film that um, I really enjoyed and it actually has Mark Wahlberg in it which is weird because I'm not like the biggest Wahlberg fan, but it was really impactful for me. It's Lone Survivor mm. um, from 2013. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just one of those ones. Berg, where it's it? Yes, Peter yes, yeah. yes. And it's just one of those ones that, that, you know, it's tense the entire time and there's a lot of, you know, cost to everything. And it seems like, something that could have happened and maybe that did happen. I'm not even sure, but it, it yeah, really, that's based on a book based on a book. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was really impactful for me when I saw it, when it came out. Yeah. That guy, well done, man. Yeah. That's, that was a hardcore film and thing to live through for sure. Uh, good record. I'm going to recommend, um, a movie called goodbye, Christopher Robin, which oh, yeah. is the true story behind Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I'm choosing that because it does involve the Great War, right, World War One, um, and World War Two, and so it's an interesting, I don't know, way to kind of reframe the way you look at not just Winnie the Pooh, but the wars themselves. And the the writer was an Englishman, um, and so it might take a slightly more upbeat approach to the wars, and I emphasize slightly there's only so a uh, beat you can make this you know war yeah uh, i am david is probably the only film that made me feel hopeful watching uh a world war ii film but it was either that or the boy in the striped pajamas and i don't want to do that to y'all <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye christopher robin go check that out it's really good stay tuned next week we get back to our bread and butter <laughs> as we <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. as we take on Arrival, the uh, sci-fi film. And so go watch awesome. that, and so you'll be ready to go. Don't forget to subscribe, review, leave us a note saying what you think about this episode. <laughs> or, yeah. or us in general. Or, or in general, yeah. What you want to hear? Yes. The more reviews we get, the easier it is to surface us. And here's the thing, a little motivation if you haven't already dropped a review you in iTunes or Android Play Store, I forget what it's called, Play Store, yeah. um, is the more reviews and the more attention we get, the more we can bring in like heavy hitters and A-listers. I mean, I'd love to bring in like Spielberg, Spielberg, of course, or anyone you know, that yeah. uh, we, we look up to and hasn't 
talked to us before. So, yeah. Um, and I have people in mind for sure. And, uh, I mean, I'd love to have like Ava DuVernay, you know, on the, on the show sometime just to discuss her films and that kind of thing. Anyway. So I'll run by Matthew McConaughey's house the, dude, tomorrow. Yeah. And, tell and Maddie, say, you know, yeah. get in here. He lives right by my office. <laughs> um, and if you want to leave a note on this specific episode and chime in on your thoughts or something that we may have missed that you thought was significant, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash saving private Ryan all together. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day from the film from Captain Miller. Just know that every man I kill, the farther away from home I feel. Wow. Lately, the last few years, there's been uh, a rise. We're all familiar with PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it's the idea that you've experienced something traumatic and you're having difficulty processing it and it's creating depression, mood swings. It can surface in a whole litany of ways. But there's another thing that's adjacent to PTSD that's called moral injury. And it's something a little bit more specific to war because the idea of moral injury is you're, you're committing things that go against your conscience and your moral compass. And so whenever you're forced to kill someone else, that would be a violation of the normal person's uh, moral compass. And so that's what, you know, Captain Miller's discussing right there is that idea that every time I kill someone, I feel more disconnected from ha- from my life, from my wife. How am I going to explain any of this to her? Moments like this. And it's one of those things that we really don't think about too much in modern warfare. We just think that, oh, these our men and women have committed something, you know, uh, overseas, you know, in the name of, you know, us and, you know, our freedoms or what have you, what people normally say. And but there's also PTSD that, you know, you can have as a, you know, survival survivor of uh, sexual abuse and all these other things. But these are very different things, you know. They're all traumatic, but moral injury is so much more specific. Whenever you think about someone in Vietnam um, or in Iraq uh, having to run over a child because that child may be carrying a bomb and their standing orders from their superiors is don't stop. They're not explicitly saying, you know, look, look for ways to kill women and children that are standing in the road, but they are saying you're not allowed to stop. Because stopping could get everybody killed. And that's, you know, the difficulty of Oppum in this movie was he's a guy that is battling with his own moral compass. And he believes, obviously, that killing is wrong. But now he has to make some really hard choices. Killing is wrong, but isn't letting your your comrades wrong die. Isn't that also wrong? And so he was damned no matter what he did. Obviously, the choice we would have preferred was to do your job and let everyone come home. That Well, technically, I guess his job was writing, right? That's true. what he was there for. But. Have you fired it? Yeah, basic. Well, then grab your hat. Yeah. <laughs> but his job changed and he needed yeah, to change. The role it. of his job did change. Yes. Um, and it's 
that's one of the many things that make the writing in this film so impactful and meaningful is because there's such a really deep discussion being had there that goes much deeper than just, you know, looking at Oppum as a coward and saying, you know, you're a piece of shit for letting your, your crew die around you without stepping in and at least giving a good effort, um, and being there for them. It's, it's more nuanced, even if it's still, you know, ultimately feels black and white because ultimately we're still on the side of America. We're still on the side of bringing our guys home before you bring their guys home. Um, and that's completely understandable, but it's also a much deeper, richer conversation. And I'm glad that, uh, for all intents and purposes, like we don't really have the draft anymore. Um, and that's a whole other conversation I could happily go into, but I won't because that's beyond the scope of our show. That's another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's a different podcast, but yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I don't have to be a soldier and make those kinds of decisions, you know, in, in spite of, you know, and I worry for my family members who I have a very deep military family and, uh, my heart goes out to all those, brothers and cousins and uncles and aunts uh grandparents like everybody but me (laughs) yeah well no i mean what i was gonna say was you know this is a really good quote you know also to remember like throughout your life like it doesn't have to be killing someone on the battlefield you know at least then you're doing it for you know like in his situation he was doing it to literally save the world you know like that basically, you know, that was the last like legitimate mm-hmm. war we've yeah. ever been in where there were stakes that were very high. It was massively supported. It was by imminent citizen and we had to do it. Yeah. Right. Ever since then, it's been all, yeah. it, in my opinion, bullshit. Yeah. And by any definition of a just war, which there's right. five criteria even, to meeting a just war. I think. Yeah, yeah, one time we declared war something or what I don't really yeah. know, but but it doesn't have to be that it can yeah. it can be you in an everyday scenario, you know, like you become a little bit less of yourself every time you because you, you can kill your conscience. That's right. You literally can. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember learning that in school growing up. I was like, what you can. Yeah, you desensitize yourself. You can, I can't unsee hereditary. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, there's just some things that you can't undo. And so mm-hmm. you have to remember that, you know, you have to think about those kinds of things and um, when you're in the moment, which is it's pretty hard to do if you're not present. You yeah. have to make sure that you're present and you're paying attention to not just what's around you, but what's inside you. I mean, you know, the other day, just a quick little story, quick little story. And it's very short. The other day I was having a conversation with, with my wife and I, I felt an emotion come up and the emotion was to get frustrated, right? This frustration. But I was so present in that moment. I f- literally felt it coming up to my, to my throat, like up from my gut to my mouth. And I was going to it was going to come out. So the, the same words were going to come out just in a very different way. And because I felt that I was able to not allow that to happen and allow my words to come out in a more, you know, loving and understanding way. And we had a wonderful conversation. It was great. Wow. But like, if I hadn't been that present, then that wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have noticed that, you know? So anyway, nice. Great quote, man. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, join us next week. We're going to be covering 
arrival. arrival. I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it. And as Wes said, please review us and tell your friends and let us know what you'd like to see us cover or who you'd like to have us us to have on the podcast. We'd love to know your thoughts. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.